वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु राइट वेलकम बैक टू द भगवद गीता क्लास देर वॉज आई नो एन इंटरप्शन एंड आई एम एंटायरली टू ब्लेम बट वी आर बैक अगेन एटलीस्ट फॉर अ वाई वी आर डूइंग द ट्वेल्थ चैप्टर ऑफ द भगवद गीता एटीन चैप्टर्स वी हैव स्टार्टेड द ट्वेल्थ चैप्टर एंड द ट्वेल्थ चैप्टर इज कॉल्ड भक्ति योग द योग ऑफ भक्ति द योग ऑफ लव ऑफ डिवोशन इट्स अ वेरी बिलवेड चैप्टर many people begin the bhagavad gita with the 12th chapter um uh, arjuna begins by asking a question that you have taught us better whose yoga is better and that's how he phrased it and shri krishna's answer was unambiguous for people who are partial to the way of knowledge like many here <laughs> it is difficult because Sri Krishna says the way of love is better. The one who follows the way of love, way of devotion, knows yoga better. Is a better yogin. Why? And Krishna answers that too. He says that for those who are embodied, embodied in the sense everybody is embodied. Every yogi is only because you are embodied that you are a yogi. But those who are deeply attached to their bodily identification. it's sort of unshakable i am this this body this person and that's it nothing more than this so uh this one it's very difficult krishna says it's very difficult for such a one to follow the path of knowledge whereas the path of devotion is easier easier in many respects one thing is the path of knowledge the path of meditation jnana dhyana dhyana is the path of meditation jnana is the path of knowledge they all have a high ask the entry barriers are high so in the path of knowledge we know they say the adhikari the the qualified student has to be a person who has strong viveka vairagya these terms we are familiar with the discernment between the eternal and the non-eternal that there is some ultimate reality and this world is transitory and ever changeful and then followed up by dispassion for this changeful transitory world and the pursuit of that eternal reality then the disciplines control of the mind control of the senses putting up with uh, ups and downs in the world you know difficult circumstances following your your spiritual quest uh in spite of difficulties in the world a lot of qualifications and they are all in the beginning right at the right of the what, what's the phrase right of the bat right of the bat you have to have those otherwise the way of knowledge is not going to work for you whereas in the way of devotion bhakti all you are asked to do is begin just begin wherever you are however you are uh, with whatever little emotion one has just begin with a little but a simple faith that there is something to this and say one might even say i don't have much faith and i certainly don't have much love for god well whatever you have begin with that you see self effort it's interesting that on the path of 
um, morality, dharma, to do good and to avoid evil. The path of dharma says uh, uh, keep on doing good moral action, you accumulate good karma thereby. And uh, this good karma, it results in a pleasant life in this world and takes you to heaven afterwards and so and so forth. This is called dharma, this is the path of dharma. It is entirely dependent on self-effort, the way of good works. And that it's not spiritual, it just ensures a good life here and that you go to one of those many, many, many heavens after death and then again come back to this life and so on. So you accumulate good, good karma and a better life. Basically an ethical life, a moral life, which is very important, which is fundamental for spiritual life, but entirely, entirely uh, self-effort, self, it's a struggle. The path of yoga, meditation, the path of yoga is entirely self-effort. Yama, Niyama, the, the eight-limbed eight yoga, Yama and Niyama, the disciplines, the moral disciplines, the do's and don'ts. And then asana, sitting still. It can be quite difficult sitting still actually. <laughs> asana, sitting. You might think that sitting is pretty easy. No, it isn't. <laughs> Try sitting like a yogi for, for hours and hours. It isn't easy. The pranayama. You might think even breathing is easy. But do we have to learn breathing? Yes, we have to. One of the first of the Hatha Yoga teachers who came to the United States. I think it was Iyengar probably. BK Sanger. Those of you who have an empty chair next to you, just raise your hand because there are one or two people coming in who might need a chair. No empty chairs? Okay. Yeah, so the younger people can come and sit in the front. Yeah, those who can manage it, younger people, if you want to come, you can come and sit in the front and leave the chairs for um, those who. You can sit like a yogi. Yeah. In the fr in front, come here. Yeah, not all of you. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. So, um, one of the first yoga teachers to come to the West. He writes in his book. I think it was B.K.S. Anger. Uh, he says that he found. Here, actually, he started off here in New York. He found that people were hardly breathing at all. <laughs> and uh, breathing is important. Huh? It is highly adv advisable. So come, come sit there. Yeah. If you can sit there. Now one or two chairs are empty, I think, now. Yeah. All right. Um, so breathing, pranayama, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Focus and then meditation and then of course absorption, samadhi, these are all very difficult and all of them demand self-effort up to samadhi, up, uh, up to dhyana, meditation, self-effort. And yes, of course after that the absorption, absorption samadhi comes by itself, by persisting in meditation. But anyway, a lot of self-effort and especially self-effort at very subtle levels is required in the path of meditation. Path of knowledge, jnana. Again, self-effort. There are uh, there are spiritual practices which are preliminary and which are which are central. The preliminary practices I just mentioned, the viveka, vairagya. One has to cultivate those dispassion and uh, discernment and the disciplines. Then the 
uh, inner practices or the advanced practices, which is Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, the hearing and reflection and meditation. So we systematically study Vedanta, like we are doing now. This is Shravana. But also think over it and then meditate upon what you have gained, the clarity that is so attained. All of that is self-effort. The point here is, look, all of this is self-effort. You might say, what's your point then? The point is this. In the path of bhakti, however, Krishna is pointing out here, the path of bhakti, however, in contrast, from the very beginning, the devotee, the lover of God, depends on God, not on his or her own self-effort. You can make self-effort, but one also feels that that self-effort is also the blessing of God. So I surrender to the Lord from the very beginning, and whatever happens, my only practice is surrender. My only practice is loving God. And to the extent that I can. If I, if I cannot, that also I surrender. But I, I continuously hold on. That one thing that I don't surrender is surrendering. So continuous holding on to the Lord. And then in all other paths, self-effort and result. Uh, sadhana and sadhya. Sadhya means goal. Sadhana means the effort, the, the practices put in to get to the goal. But here it's not like that. Here you depend entirely on the grace of the Lord. So the path of devotion, path of love of God. Um, Krishna says in the seventh verse, we had stopped at the seventh verse. He says, Bhavami Nachirat Partha Maya Veshita Cheta Samtesha Maham Samuddhatta Mrityu Samsara Sagarat. Seventh verse. He says, For those who love me, who surrender to me continuously in this way, I rescue them from samsara, the samsara of death. This continuously falling into the cycle of birth and death, being born and dying, and uh, this um, this samsara basically, uh, I, I give them liberation, uh, salvation, moksha, nirvana, whatever you call them, that I give them, I become their rescuer. I become their rescuer. So by surrendering, one of the teachers of bhakti pointed out. Notice. By bhakti, by devotion, by surrendering to the Lord, you also attain all the results of good karma, of dharma. What is more punya, what is better karma, what is more meritorious than love of God? The best thing one can do is to love God. You attain all the results of meditation without meditating. You, will, you may meditate, but it's by bhakti, by devotion, that the result of meditation, which is samadhi, the absorption in God, it is attained, absorption in God is attained through love of God. Not through uh, what the yogi does by exercising a control, a psychic control over the mind. No, it's just through love of God. Sri Ramakrishna says in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, that by intense love of God, one attains kumbhaka. So in pranayama, in pranayama, one breathes in, and that is in breath, and then holds the breath, that is called kumbhaka, that's meant for concentration. And then releases the breath and then breathes in again. But Sri Ramakrishna says even that kumbhaka, that stillness of the breath is attained through intense devotion, intense feeling for God can lead to kumbhaka. So that means the result of, of yoga, of meditation is attained through bhakti without the actual procedure, the mechanical procedure of yoga. And jnana, knowledge, Enlightenment, that I am Brahman, that also is attained through bhakti, without undergo undergoing 
Shravana, Manana, Nidhi, Dhyasana, you know, hearing and reflection and meditation. No. By the sheer grace of God, if God wants, God can give you that knowledge. The, the only thing is the devotee is not hankering for samadhi, hankering for self-knowledge. One um, sadhu, Swami Akhandanandaji, of uh, Sri Ramakrishna's disciple, so when he was on his way to the Himalayas, he went to Kamakya, which is in northeast of India, in Assam, near Guwahati. It's a tantric uh, place. So there was a sadhu there, I forget his name. He lived on the um, mountain uh, overlooking Guwahati. There's the Chandi, the, you know, the Divine Mother's um, temple is there. So uh, Akhandananda went up there. To see, the, to bow down to the Divine Mother, and also met this sadhu. And this sadhu said, "What do you want?" He says, "I want to realize God, become enlightened." And then this sadhu, who was a devotee of the Divine Mother, he says, "Oh, so I see that you want self-knowledge. You want to realize Brahman. You don't love my mother. <laughs> you don't love my mother." One sadhu pointed out. A monk pointed out. See, notice something subtle about these paths. The um, the doer of good wants the good, the good karma, the ethical life and the result of that is not loving God as such. The yogi wants peace of mind. Yoga chitta vritti nirodhaha. Yoga is the cessation of the movements of the mind. The absolute stillness of the mind is what the yogi values. The jnani values self-knowledge. I am Brahman. Yes, they all uh, pay lip service to God. By the grace of God I shall attain Samadhi. By the grace of God I shall realize I am Brahman. But they don't actually love God. They do after a fashion, but that's not the whole point. That's not the point. The bhakta, the, the devotee points this out. You don't actually love God. You want something from God. No, something very high, no doubt about it. It is the devotee who loves God. And God responds to love. God responds to love. Only thing is, the devotee will get all of this. The bhakta will get all of this. Will get enormous good karma. Will get samadhi, deepest meditation. Will get self-knowledge, aham brahmasmi, ityakara jnanam, this kind of knowledge that I am Brahman. All of this will get. However, the devotee doesn't want these. Yeah. Devotee doesn't have a wish list. So I love God. So when am I getting enlightenment? <laughs> Not like that. I am entirely at the mercy of the Lord. If he wishes to give me, if he, she wish, wishes to give me, will do that. I am happy. If he does not wish to give me, or maybe later on, that's also, I am happy, happy about that. So this is the advantage of bhakti. Now, how does one become a lover of God like this? Because Sri Krishna is saying this is the best kind of yogi. And this is done with so much sweetness. So much sweetness. It is joyful. It is beautiful. So how does one become this um, uh, bhakti yogi, the yogi and the path of love? Now we go into the actual practices. 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12 as a sort of Summing up, the practices involved in this absorption in God through love, through surrender. 
depending on God. So what is to be done? Eighth very important verse. You can repeat after me. Mayeva mana adhatswa Mayeva mana adhatswa May buddhim niveshaya May buddhim niveshaya Nivasishya si mayeva Nivasishya si mayeva Ata udham na samshayaha Ata udham na samshayaha so what is to be done? Fix your mind on me alone. Let your intellect rest in me. You will live in me alone hereafter. There is no doubt about it. So verse number 8. Fix your mind and intellect. Manam is mind. And intellect, buddhi is intellect. So fix your mind and intellect on me. What is to be done? What is the practice now? In this path of devotion. And Krishna says two things. Only two things to be done. Only two things. Not a long list of preparations, practices, no. Just two things. Mind and intellect fix on me, fix on God. That's it. But that's a very big thing. <laughs> and then he will give. In the path of devotion, it's full of concessions. Next verse will be, if you can't do this, do this. Then verse after that will be, if you can't do that either, then do this. There will be four verses like this. But first, this is the core, this is the, the essential message. Fix your mind on me, fix your intellect on me. What's the difference? What's the difference? Mind is thought, intellect is understanding. And then it is uh, in defined, those who have studied Vedanta Sara, you will understand the difference between the two. Um, in Sanskrit, the, the definition of mind, Sankalpa Vikalpatmakam Manaha. Mind is that which um, takes up, um, you know, which is basically a processing thing. Various kinds of thoughts keep churning around. This or that. Nishchayatmika buddhi. Intellect is that which is the determinative faculty which comes to an understanding. That is buddhi, intellect. So the mind goes through either this or that. Should I do this? Should I do that? The intellect says this is to be done. Is it like this or is it like that? The intellect says it's like this. Intellect is the one which understands. We have all gone through this process when we are students. Imagine, remember trying to you know, solve a mathematics problem, for example. When you are churning it around in your mind, that's the mind. And when you get it, the aha moment, all right, I've got it now, I understand. That is the intellect. Intellect says, now I get it. It's the intellect which says, I don't understand. It's the intellect which says, I do understand. It is like this. The mind is the one which keeps processing. So various kinds of thoughts. So all our perceptions, they finally go to the mind. All our emotions are in the mind. What you feel about different things. All the thoughts about the world and yourself and people are in the mind. And the knowledge, the, the understanding, it's, it's basically the same instrument, inner instrument, it's called antakkarana, inner instrument. One level is mind, another level is intellect. Intellect is a higher level. Intellect is um, the level of understanding. Now both have to be focused on God. And here God, of course, literally means Krishna, but it can be me, it means Bhagavan, Ishwara, in any, any form, in any tradition, whichever way, any theistic tradition, if you believe in God. 
why are both why are both mentioned separately because it is quite possible that uh, one may make up one's mind god realization is my goal god is the highest so i fixed my understanding on god ostensibly but my mind may be all over the place at the end of the day as monks we are told that in the morning you first um, start the day with the clarity why are you a monk at the end of the day accounts <laughs> debit credit debit what did i do this this day which takes me towards my goal and at the end of the day when you do the accounts and you find loss terrible the whole day was spent in thinking of a hundred different things everything except god so you may you may be a monk you have made up your mind enlightenment is your goal god realization is your goal and the day and weeks and months may pass i mean not thinking much about god at all you will think definitely because you're a monk you're associated some but a lot of the time the mind is all over the place so the mind also what you have decided the goal of life god realization the mind also must think about that and the opposite is also possible you might be say a monk or a priest in a temple and the mind is busy with sacred stuff you know doing a puja um in the rituals teaching the gita but the intellect may may not take that as the highest the intellect may just think that you know priest in a temple so the intellect might be thinking so how many people came today how much money was given for the temple and uh, uh, am i going to get a new roof for my house that's a, a priest the goal is is uh, not god realization the goal is money or fame or power or something like that so the intellect and the mind both have to be fixed on god that's why they are mentioned separately um our relationship with god is eternal it's already there it's already there but we don't feel it see from an advaitic perspective you are brahman you are brahman our connection is eternal you the it's literally identity from an from non dual perspective it is you are that of course we are not talking about that perspective here we're talking about a devotional perspective non dual perspective is that you and god are one reality somebody sent me a cup from the united kingdom uh and it said uh, the cup has a smiley face and it says omg i am g g <laughs> <laughs> <G> is god <laughs> but we are not talking about that here we're talking about devotion to god even the devotional relationship with god is eternal but the problem is we don't here's the thing here's the problem the problem is we don't feel it it's not in our experience we may believe it but we don't feel it now the question is why don't we feel it why isn't our is it our isn't it our experience that god is real and we are eternally connected to god why isn't it there the reason is these two mind and intellect these two are connected are scattered in the world that's why we don't feel our connection with god mind and the intellect are world oriented and are scattered in the world that's why we don't feel our connection with god Swami Prabhavanand Ji in his very beautiful book um the Gos- the sermon on the mount according to vedanta so it's a commentary on the sermon on the mount in the new testament but from a vedantic perspective blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god 
Now he raises the question, how do I know that whether I am pure in heart or not? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do I know whether I am pure in heart or not? And he says, try this simple experiment. Just sit quietly and think that, now I am going to think about God or anything, any blessed thing, for the next one minute. Try, you will see within seconds other thoughts intrude. Unless you are a very trained meditator, for most of us, within seconds other thoughts will intrude. But why, how strange it is it, that how, how strange it is that I have made up my mind to think about God. Ah, this is my mind. I have made up my mind. And yet I can't. Within seconds some other thoughts come in. So that's the impurity of the heart. The mind is scattered in the world and therefore lots of thoughts and feelings and apprehensions, temptations, desires, all of these keep coming in. Anxieties, repetitive patterns of thought, they keep coming in. The mind is given to so many things in the world. It's given to um, uh, children, to husband, wife, money, um, property, um, car, and, uh, and the parking ticket, and um, you know, health, and insurance, and uh, relationships, what not. It's scattered in the world in dozens of different ways across the world. And um, anxieties also. Anxieties and fears, temptations and desires, memories, habitual patterns of thinking. It's scattered in the world in a hundred different ways. And the more the mind is scattered, if you scatter the mind in a hundred different ways, it's guaranteed. One thing is immediate. The immediate result will be lack of peace. Lack of peace. If the mind is focused on one thing, there'll be peace. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he said, purity of mind is to desire one thing only. You might say, but one can desire worldly things, material things. Yeah, but then in that case it will never be one thing only. Desiring one thing only purely, deeply, it's generally it's God. Nothing else can absorb your mind entirely and to the exclusion of everything else. Temporarily it can. Some desire can take possession of you. But generally, over a lifetime, only one desiring one thing only, that's God. So, Mayeva mana adhatswa. Fix your mind on me. Adhatswa, the Sanskrit word is, it literally means place your mind in me. Place your mind in me. Placing is like you have a plate or a table and I place the clock on the table. This is placing. But to do that, I have to catch hold of the clock. To place the mind on God, you have to catch hold of the mind. And follow this carefully. It's very simple but also subtle. If you pra I mean, quite apart from theory. The theory will tell you, mind is that which goes through um, you know, the processing capacity, sankalpa, vikalpa, atmakam, and all that's fine. But right now, if I were to put the mind on God, what do you mean? What's the mind? I can understand. Put the clock on the table, I understand. Here. Put the mind on God. How? What is? What am I supposed to put where? If you try to catch hold of the mind, you will find nothing. Because it's formless. 
it's not a physical entity so how do we catch hold of the mind the mind is caught hold of when it manifests and it keeps on manifesting when does it manifest when it has a vishaya an object you think of um, did I park uh, in the right place that's the mind what was the object your anxiety regarding parking but what manifested in the mind? There's no parking, no car, nothing in the mind, in, in your head. The mind manifested. I'm hungry if you feel. That's the mind is manifested. Hunger is the object. The mind manifests as I am hungry. So, um, I am anxious. I, am, I feel warm or I feel cold. All of these are objects. Heat, cold, anxiety. I get it. I don't get it. These are all objects. But what's manifesting all throughout is the mind, mind, mind. So the mind manifests with when it catches hold of an object. Savishaya, in Sanskrit, vishaya. When an object is there, then the mind manifests as what's called a chitta vritti. A movement in the lake of the mind. And each movement has a content. The content is the object. Why am I saying all this? Here is the point. Placing the mind on God means replacing the content of the mind with God. The mind keeps on. You, right now you'll see, the mind has many objects. And it goes from one thing to another thing to another thing. Instead of one thing to another thing to another thing, you replace it with God and God and God. In whichever form. It could be Krishna, it could be Rama and so on. Just by the way, a little aside. Um, the way of knowledge and the um, way of devotion we sometimes make you know an unnecessary uh, division someone might say that oh you know that I am not the body not the mind I am witness consciousness uh, Vedanta right uh, that's my thing and all this what is all this Rama temple and uh, as we said, I just read Hanuman came into the Rama temple this morning and everybody is, this is the big news. This kind, this kind of thinking, looking down, it's a big mistake. So the jnani looks down on the bhakta thinking that's for silly people, dumb people. And the real thing is I'm not the body, not the mind, I'm pure consciousness. No, it's the same reality. That's the beauty of Sri Ramakrishna. He says in Bengali, uh, but in the, the English equivalent would be a pie or a piece of pizza. If you eat it like this and if you eat it like that, you're literally eating the same thing. And, f and he says, whether you have the highest philosophy and an inquiry, philosophical inquiry into who am I, or you are worshipping God in full devo in, in, in simple devotion as my Lord Ramachandra. You are actually experiencing the same reality. So, it is, uh, there is no need to think that this path is um, superior, that path is inferior. Or this is true and that's false. This is real spirituality, that's superstition. Not at all, not at all. In whichever way. So this is just an aside. Um, back to placing the mind on God means replacing the object of each vritti with God. 
and that one can do in many many ways many many ways I heard from a senior devotee here that Swami T Swami Tathagatarandaji told her that if you want to be saved read read holy books read holy books means what suppose I, I say that I cannot meditate on God all the time well, fine but keep your mind on God or something related to God a scripture uh, um, uh, you know the stories of the lives of saints read what, what, what is reading doing it's giving an object to the mind so you are placing your mind on God through that reading you can place your mind on God through the mantra if you have been initiated into mantra so how to place the mind on God and uh, the same thing applies to the intellect also the uh, intellect generally concerns itself with the world outside so it is continuously analyzing the world trying to understand the world in our common sense in our day-to-day -day life also inquiries in science and philosophy it's all inquiry into the world and uh, here Krishna is saying you that inquiry should be about about God and the most powerful determination to make in the intellect is my goal is God realization you know to tell yourself that I am a God seeker that determination who am I what am I I am a spiritual seeker it's not just for monks and for uh, you know um, Mirabai and Ramakrishna what is, it's true of Mirabai and Ramakrishna it's also true of me I too am seeking God let that be my identity that's the intellect the intellect has, has to make up its mind who am I what am I what do I see myself as one might think but Swami that is might be true for you but it's not true for us no 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 Krishna is speaking to Arjuna they, Arjuna is a warrior in the middle of the world he is married he has children and grandchildren they are all actually pretty old if you see if you calculate the years they are all uh, senior citizens all of these people <laughs> who are fighting wars and stuff uh, they all had grandchildren yes so uh, they they had wives and children and grandchildren they had kingdoms to run they were men of the world the people who who Krishna is talking to here so yes you can be in the world you can be in an ashram you can be in a mountaintop you can be in a forest or you can be in a city and your whole goal can be God realization in and through the activities of the world in fact maturity is when you are spiritual so it's not that you have to actually formally become a monk you become monk like you become spiritual there is you you see yourself as a spiritual seeker wherever you are whatever the profession is whatever the profession the worst of professions is fighting a war and Arjuna is fighting a war in the middle of that if he can be spiritual we can all be spiritual there's no excuse so the buddhi, the intellect must make up, must uh, make the determination, I seek God. Goal of life is God realization. Goal of my life is God realization. I can, I should and I must seek God. This identity. Many of us have already got it. That's why we are here actually. 
but to make it very explicit in our minds this is who i am you will immediately get peace a little bit of peace at least and continuous you will get it the moment you make up your mind i am a god seeker everything else will be there there will be family there will be money there will be jobs everything else all the pluses and minuses all the problems of life and the they, they will all circle around but the central thing should be uh, i am a spiritual seeker then life takes on um, this higher dimension that we are a sadhaka uh, spiritual practitioner spiritual seeker now once having done that then you see how 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 do you place mayeva manadhatsva how do you place the mind on god place it in time this is the time for meditation this is the time for prayer this is the time for the vedanta class time take off a particular mark it off this is the time this is the time this is krishna janmashtami this is ram navami this is shivaratri this is durga puja this is christmas this is easter this is buddha purnima time your marking of time in in the continuous flow of time this is the point now this time is reserved for placing my mind on god this is a holy time the time in your day the time in your week the time in the common calendar pick up those times place this corner of my room is reserved for meditation and nothing else for my devotional practices and meditation this is a meditation center this is a shrine this is a temple place you're picking up particular places mayeva manadhatsva there the mind in that place the mind will be given to god in that time the mind will be given to god you see in space and time so this is uh, ayodhya this is kashi this is banaras this is makka this is jerusalem assisi these are places place space look it is true what vedanta says all times one should think of god at all times and one can one should think of god at all places because god is in all time and spaces in god it is true the ones who have made these arrangements holy place and holy time they know this they know this very well they know it better than us but still they have arranged these things why why this helps us to place the my mind in god mayeva manadhatsva place your mind in me little bit of sanskrit the the original verse says mayeva in me alone to the exclusion of everything else place your mind and then it says mai buddhim nivesha you merge your intellect or you know nivesha literally literally means like segue it in like merge it in so like you merge traffic like that mai buddhim nivesha so the commentator says that eva only in me that should be added to the, the into that buddhi also so only in me keep your mind only into me merge your intellect in the intellect make up your mind that make up the intellect that i am uh, uh, my goal of life is god realization whole of spiritual life in buddhism begins with this this is called samyak drishti samyak drishti uh, 
proper, the right philosophy of life. This is samsara, it is not working. I am in trouble. <laughs> Most of us don't realize this, but I am in trouble. Things are not going to get better. Young, only young people think things, things are going to get better. Things aren't. Middle-aged people know that already. Elderly people also know that. Things are not going to get better. They're going to be like this. You reach a peak and then quickly <laughs> down. So, um, this is samsara. And I need to um, need help. So enlightenment, spiritual realization is necessary. So, this is samyak drishti, a, a right philosophy of life. And that's followed by samyak sankalpa, a right resolution. Buddhism. Ashtanga, eight noble eightfold uh, path of Buddhism. Samyak um, sankalpa, right resolution. Yes, this is the problem. This is samsara and here is the solution. Here is bhakti. Here is jnana. Here is yoga. I will do this. I will be a yogi. I will be a karma yogi, bhakti yogi, jnana yogi, raja yogi. This is the, the determination. It has no conflict at all with what we are doing in life. Those things can continue. So, mai eva mana adhatsva, mai eva buddhim nivesha, mai eva, only in me, to the exclusion of other things. Use the power of imagination. Feel the presence of God. There is a very beautiful Christian book, Practice of the Presence of God. Those are letters of Brother Lawrence. He was a cook in a kitchen. And he was continuously living in the presence of God. All day long he was busy. And there was not a simple kitchen. It's a kitchen of a, of a monastery. So, so very busy. And he was doing, basically going out for groceries and preparing vegetables and, you know, the food for so many people, monks, every day. And so very touching, these letters. that He says that I always pray to the Lord that, only if you hold my hand that I can do whatever I have to do, I, have to, I can do it properly. It's very natural that I will make mistakes. If you are not there with me, I will continuously make mistakes. This is, this is my, my nature. Always feel the presence of God. Use the, the faculty of imagination that the Lord is present with me, is walking with me, is in my heart. I am concerned with the Lord, not with the world and its people. It's all internal, all right? Don't, don't advertise it. Don't change your Facebook status. <laughs> Not meant for advertisement. It's, uh, it's entirely an internal attitude. People should not know. They will come to know eventually over um, months and years. They'll see the difference in you and they'll be touched by it and they will get peace from you and they'll feel inspired. But that's later. First of all, internal and very private, very internal. Place your mind in me. Use the power of imagination. Think about God. Argue with God. Question God. Place your sorrows and your complaints to God. Internally. Not to people. We may think we are devotees. We believe in God. But at the first sign of trouble, we, the, even the thought that I have to take this to God doesn't come to us. Either we worry ourselves sick or we run to other people. First of all, go to God. God is real. God is there. 
mayeva manadhatsva mai buddhim niveshaya merge your understanding in me then what will happen nivasashyasi mayeva ata urdhvam na samshaya it says um you will dwell in me after this ata urdhvam beyond this after this what do you mean after this the commentator here says um this is one commentary sridhar swami's commentary it says um ata urdhvam beyond this dehante maranantaram after death of the body mayeva nivasishyasi you will dwell in me after death so that's one meaning after this means after the death of this body after the after this life uh, you will go to vaikuntha the christian heaven or the buddhist pure land whatever it is and and dwell there but another meaning is not after death atodham means when you place your mind in me when you are in, place your intellect in me after that in this life while living you will dwell in me and dwell in me does not mean you will go to a heaven and dwell in that heaven you know next door neighborhood of god no dwell in me here god says you dwell in me in god in god this is a very vedantic way of looking at it that we actually are one with god we are that one limitless existence consciousness place so we are actually immersed in god everywhere here we just don't see it one uh, little point here intellect i was just reading yesterday so the intellect is busy trying to understand the world and krishna here says fix your intellect upon me even if you try to understand investigate the world how you are thrown back upon the mystery of god or of the, of the ultimate reality that i <laughs> so taken aback to read i was just reading this wonderful little book um, by carlo rovelli have you heard of carlo rovelli he is a quantum physicist um very he is a popularizer of of physics and writes very well he's italian but his books have been translated into english so i was reading this book hell uh, helgoland it's uh, the theory of quantum physics and how it has revolutionized our understanding of the universe it's a small book but very elegantly written as his books are and he says now notice this is not about religion not even about vedanta um or, or you know spirituality or nothing like that far from krishna and bhakti and all that it's about quantum physics quantum theory and he says i and one of my colleagues we were contemplating what this really means for reality for the world how it changes how quantum th- theory changes our understanding of the world and he says we came to the conclusion that this means there is no reality <laughs> the more you investigate see this kind of physics we learnt as school children so i, I am not a physicist and, and this is i'm entering into you know the fools rush in where angels fear to fear to tread so i'm rushing in where i have no competence at all the kind of physics we read as kids uh, in school that this universe is composed of tiny particles which are guided by um immaterial force um material forces but invisible forces so there are certain number of forces in this universe and there are particles as part matter energy uh, space and time 
force, uh, energy or force and matter. And this is how the universe is. Well, it isn't. Breaking news. <laughs> That's what 20th century quantum physics revealed, that it's not like that at all. Not like that at all. He has discussed how this, these insights came to, first to Heisenberg, then Schrodinger, the world is not at all what, what classical physics was trying to say. And uh, that drove, and Carlo Rovelli mentions, that drove uh, Schrodinger to his interest in Advaita Vedanta. So uh, he, what's behind the veil of Maya? Of course, according to Carlo Rovelli, all our investigations, and this is not even uh, Vedanta or spirituality or um, not even philosophy, it's just hard science. This is our, all our investigation shows behind the veil of Maya there is nothing. <laughs> the veil of Maya is all that there is. So this is an investigation into the objective nature of things. We know from a Vedantic perspective what we want to say. And then at the end of that book, it's all about Nagarjuna. The theory of emptiness, the emptiness people in the school of emptiness in Buddhism. And then he says, we, I was breaking my head trying to understand what quantum uh, physics means for this world, for our understanding of, of the universe. And then I came across somebody, I, I, I would keep coming across people who said, have you read Nagarjuna? And when the umpteenth time somebody said, have you read Nagarjuna? I thought I'd give it a go. And I read this book. The verses on the middle middle path, Mula Madhyamaka Karika, written 2000 years ago by this Buddhist monk. Um, and he says, it was a revelation to me. He read the book, uh, translated and commented by, he says, by an American analytic philosopher, Jay Garfield, who happens to be the teacher from whom I studied Madhyamaka Buddhism. So I dashed off an email to him uh, yesterday, today. He's very famous for completing all his email the same day, 24 hours. So he lived up to his reputation. I just got back an email from him. I said, did you know that this connection between quantum mechanics and the interpretation of Nagarjuna, especially your interpretation of Nagarjuna, by Carlo Rovelli, and he, had, he said in his email, yes, I actually met Carlo Rovelli and we had uh, a discussion. And we're going to have a discussion on, we hit it up very well, and we're going to have a discussion about this on Dutch TV uh, very soon. <laughs> so you see, even... A scientific investigation, buddhi, if you investigate the world, you end up with a paradox, at the very least. You, you might say, what, what is the alternative? The alternative could be that you could have completed physics. You, you could have uh, just, um, you know, just said that, yes, what we studied in school, that's the final answer. There are these little bits, bit, little bits of um, matter uh, pushed along by forces, and that is the universe finished. Physics is complete. No, 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 no. So, mai buddhim niveshaya, uh, the intellect also should be fixed on me, on God. That's a theistic answer. The commentator also here says. He gives an interesting addition. Natra samshaya. There is no um, doubt here. There is no doubt here. You will dwell on God. Uh, obviously, we are already dwelling in God. We don't experience it. But if you fix your mind on God and you fix your intellect on God, you will experience it. You will feel very soon it will become a living reality for you. And then he says at the end, at the end of this, physical, this particular life, 
this commentator here gives a nice quotation dehante devastarakam parabrahma vyachaste if you live like this at the end of your days the moment of death god will um re- will give you what what it says is the tarak brahma mantra which will liberate you at the point of death at the point of death this is a nice connection to what sri ramakrishna saw in kashi in banaras there's a um belief among hindus that if you die in banaras you will get liberation even if you are not at all spiritual not practicing bhakti or anything at all just die in banaras you will get liberation that's a belief and sri ramakrishna had a mystical vision in banaras where he saw the dead bodies being burnt in the um, cremation pyres and he had a vision of shiva and the divine mother annapurna so shiva there in banaras is vishwanath and annapurna is the divine mother and he saw the divine mother in his words i saw the divine mother cutting the bonds of worldliness of the departing souls and shiva giving the what he called tarak brahma mantra what the tarak brahma mantra depends upon your school of vedanta the hari krishnas will say it is hari ram hari krishna the gyanis will say i am brahman this realization whatever it is so shiva gives you that realization the divine mother releases you from all worldly bondages and shiva gives you enlightenment you are free from samsara at the point of death he mentions this and he says you don't have to wait live in kashi and die there if you fix your mind on god fix your intellect on god and live like that so that's a, still a tall order still a tall order in case you can't do that there are easier alternatives good somebody had a question if you have a question there'll be a microphone they'll come to you with a microphone raise your hand the lady here uh, on this side yes tell us your name and ask the question um pranam swami ji i'm meenal uh, i'm just uh, still trying to dwell a little bit on the subtle difference that you mentioned between the mind and the intellect I, I, am i right in thinking that the mind is all my thoughts and the intellect is a distillation of those thoughts intellect like is understanding i'll give you the technical definition and then it will help us to notice what is intellect and what is mind intellect is the technical definition is nischayatmika antakarana vritti buddhi that uh, movement of the inner instrument so whatever is going on internally first person is the inner instrument again the distinction between inner and outer instrument outer instrument is our five senses which are in touch with the world eyes are in touch with forms ears with sound nose with uh, with um, you know smell and so on but the mind is not directly in touch with the external world the mind is in touch with the inputs given to it by the sense organs so the mind is entirely internal that mind in inner instrument mind has certain subtle different functions one of those functions is buddhi nischaya atmika that means the determinative faculty i am sarva priyananda sitting here this is knowledge for me this is not what i'm thinking i need not think it it's obvious to me like that so that's knowledge but i may be thinking many things in my mind which might be in, in the of the nature of speculation anxiety emotion desire all of that is mind the technical definition of mind sankalpa vikalpa vikalpatmaka manah so this is in sanskrit is called sankalpa vikalpa the up thinking of this swinging to and fro 
like a pendulum is it this or is it that um, various feelings various options this is mind and when it comes to a conclusion that's intellect could be wrong but that's intellect Yes, the gentleman there, the two gentlemen there. Swami, <coughs> my name is Ron. Uh, I have a question. It, it may be um, for another day. <laughs> it's like large, but you mentioned antakarana, is yes. the inner organ, and uh, traditionally four parts yes. manas, buddhi, ahankara, who are familiar with, but it also mentions chitta. Yes. which often is uh, defined as the heart. And um, I was wondering with this whole subject of devotion, how the chitta fits in. Right. So what she has just pointed out, the inner instrument, when you talk about the inner instrument, traditionally it's divided into four components. Here Krishna speaks only about two, mind and intellect, manas and buddhi. But the inner instrument is traditionally mano, buddhi, chitta, ahankara, mind, Intellect, ego, I. And there chitta does not mean the heart in the fourfold division. It means the memory, the storehouse. So chitta, chit is heart. That's different. But chitta here is the memory, the storehouse. Our, our subconscious, our storehouse of memories. So all four taken together, in English we would just say mind. So it includes all of these uh, components. Now, when Krishna says mind and intellect, once the mind and intellect are fixed on God, the uh, ego also will follow and the memory, the storehouse of memory is over time purified. Good thoughts keep going into it. Gentleman next to you. Yes. Swami, my name is Shyam. Um, so my question is, uh, is there a way to incorporate bhakti when when uh, a theistic god doesn't appeal to you. So can you have bhakti without an object in the mind? Not so easily. Um, bhakti is with an object. See, the path of non-dual Vedanta is precisely difficult because of this, that when, you, when we begin to understand what is meant by non-dual Vedanta is, is just us, but not an object. That's why someone like Carlo Rovelli might say with, with a full scientific investigation of the objective universe, you come to, you're coming to the scary, he says, it's a vertigo-inducing <laughs> idea that there is no reality outside. It's just a tissue. It's like a, the veil of Maya is just a veil. What's behind the veil? Nothing. But what's in, it's not behind the veil. The reality is not an object. Uh, it's, it's, it's you the subject. But the pure subject, what will the mind grasp? It cannot. It is that which illumines the mind. You realize you are that, but then what will you put the mind on? You cannot. If you really, really want an object to put the mind on, then you need God. Vivekananda put it this way. He says, it is this very Atman as if seen from the outside. It is a, you, your real nature, as if seen from the outside means Instead of, say, instead of going through the process of I am not the body, I am not the mind, you say, I, you just keep yourself intact. I am this person and the ultimate reality is God. So you have, in a sense, objectified it. You might say, but that's, there's, a, there's a lot of the mind in that. Yes, it is. It is definitely. It is the ultimate reality coated with the mind. You have given it a, 
mental, cultural, uh, religious coating. But that's why I said that uh, Sri Ramakrishna would say it's the same reality. Now that doesn't answer your question. What what if I it does, does doesn't appeal to me if I don't have devotion? Well, so much the poorer if we, if we don't have devotion. But still, um, hold on to the Advaitic path then. Hold on to the non-dual inquiry path and I am that. And if that fulfills you, good enough. Good enough. Yeah. It's the same reality. And it's uh, as long as we don't have any need for this. But what we do in our order is that we try to uh, practice all four. The path of knowledge, path of devotion, path of uh, meditation and the path of service. It's a wholesome, balanced approach. Uh, the harmony of four yogas. Now nobody among us is actually balanced. <laughs> Each of us has some preference. But we try to cultivate the other. Now, If that is not natural to you, what will happen is it will feel mechanical. So the path of knowledge might feel very natural to you. And the path of devotion might feel forced. But that's not the fault of the path of devotion. It's just that I have not developed that faculty within myself. So even if it is forced, even if it's mechanical, keep a little bit of it. Keep some component of devotion in your life. Keep some component of devotion, some component of meditation, some component of service in your life. And of course, the self-knowledge. The gentleman is right at the back. Two, there are two hands up there. We'll conclude with those questions. None of you have questions? Um, yeah. <coughs> Hi, my name is Shobita. Yes. Um, I happen to be getting a PhD in quantum physics. Oh, then um, then you are the expert. <laughs> I differ. I'm in my where, final Where are you? I'm right here. Okay. All right. Um, I happen to be in my final year, and I feel like all I've learned is that uh, Schrodinger, so one of the scientists you mentioned, he actually says that any scientist that makes an observation in quantum physics, he himself becomes part of the nature, right? So the observer essentially becomes God because you essentially become the person making the observation. And I take that to mean exactly what you said, where the observer, you are God. You are me, I am you, ergo, we are all one, we are the supreme being. Okay, so I, I preface that because I feel like the deeper I go into um, like school and quantum physics and Hinduism, the deeper I realize that it's just an explanation for everything I've learned growing up. But to me, I've come to this point where um, my mom and I were in Kathmandu last month um, and we were talking about why every student or every child essentially isn't raised to just be a monk. Like why shouldn't we all just let everything go, like forget about school and knowledge and jobs and essentially focus on just learning Hinduism if that is, or like the teachings of Vedanta, if that is the ultimate goal. Because when I asked my mom why I shouldn't just quit school and quit like everything materialistic in this world and just try to focus on like a, being a true devotee of God, if that is the essential purpose that like I'm even studying quantum in the first place is for. And she got really scared. <laughs> and I don't understand why yeah. she, she's not like why all parents aren't more supportive and like, I don't know. Is that a silly question? No, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I remember this happened, I think, either to Vivekananda or Abhedananda, this young 
person, I forget whether it was a young man or a woman, who came up to him after one of the talks on Vedanta, when, when Vivekananda was here in this country, and seriously asked him, is this true, what you are saying? Vivekananda said, yes. And then they never saw him again. He ap apparently went away from worldly life and retreated into a log cabin or something and meditated for the rest of his days. Or something like that happened. Now, um, the point is that if this is true, what else matters? And if it's not true, then what else matters? <laughs> yes. Now there, um, there is the great wisdom of, I would say, Hinduism as the mother of all religions. What you are saying is a very Buddhistic approach. Is that, this is true, wow, let's do this, give up everything else. But it will not work for everybody. It won't. That's the wisdom of this ancient mother of all religions. That we are all placed in different, um, different places in our spiritual evolution. What you find absolutely fascinating will not leave a single mark on the mind of the person next to you. Um, the other person might just shrug, ah, all right, <laughs> whatever it is. So, and you'll be surprised that what is so amazing for you, uh, the next person is not interested at all. What Hinduism does is, all right, so these are these people who are scattered on an entire spectrum, how do we help everybody wherever they are? So there must be something for everybody. Something for everybody. That's why you have Advaita Vedanta for you and Schrodinger uh, and Carlo Rovelli. But you also have uh, um, Ram and Ayodhya and the uh, Krishna temple and the Rama temple and the devo simple devotion to God. For, you have uh, and everything in between. You have got this entire range and the genius of Hinduism is to say that we are all touching the same reality in all these different ways. In all these different ways. That reality has infinite aspects and so we can approach it through infinite different ways. But yes, what you said, absolutely. Um, when you have this insight, then you grasp it with both of your hands and uh, investigate it fully. Investigate it through knowledge, investigate it through, through devotion, through meditation, and through service. And all of that. I, ha I have a friend who is a cutting-edge mathematician. His work is in topology and is used in string theory. And somebody asked him, you're a monk. Why do you do mathematics? And he said, this is my karma yoga. This is my karma yoga. God has given me this talent for mathematics, so this is how I'm serving as long as I, you know, this is one way I, I, can, uh, I can serve humanity, I can serve people in science. So, very good. I mean, you, you follow it. See, the thing is, through quantum physics, through this investigation in physics, it gives you a second person approach to it. That, alright, this may be true. This is what it's revealing to me, all these investigations. Vedanta also wants you to have a first person experience of it. That I, in my own lived experience, this should become a living reality for me. Yeah. So all of the paths in Vedanta, especially the path of knowledge, but also meditation and devotion and service, all of them seek to give us 
is direct God experience. You need not call it even a God experience. You can call it experience of the ultimate reality, experience of our real nature, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but I'm very glad to hear that. There was another hand up next to you. It's okay. Oh, that's not, yeah, somebody here? Yes. We'll, we'll conclude with this question. Forcing her to ask a question. <laughs> Actually, I had a question in my mind and then I'll use it. <laughs> my name is Rajonna. So I have a question. Uh, like in my life, I've seen a lot of uh, people with a lot of devotion, but w I have seen some problem with that. Again, like who are doing it correctly, that's not the thing, but who are in the journey. As you said, we should try to imagine God, right? And try to feel that. But there comes some problem with that imagination I have seen. Like they get obsessed with something, like superstitions in some way. Like, yes. okay, this flower should be placed in this way, that way. And so what I'm trying to, and also, like you said, like if you are going through some sad days, like talk to God. But then what I'm trying to say, you don't get a reply back in some sense, right? Mm. But if you talk to a friend, maybe some console, consolation and all that. So how to tackle those problems of devotion? Yes. First of all, this is we're talking about poor devotion to God. Often there are a lot of people who have some faith and devotion to God. Lots of faith. That's what mass religion is basically. But that kind of faith or devotion is mixed with worldly desire. I want something in this world out of God. And that leads to problems. Now, love of God for the sake of God, that's number one, that's difficult, but that's what Krishna is talking about here. That leads to enlightenment and freedom. Second, yes, talk to God, but then you don't get a response. Somebody said, actually a psychiatrist said, that uh, talk to God all you want, that's very good. The problem starts when God starts talking back to you. <laughs> Yes. That's why we insist on the four, the harmony of the four yogas. Yes, devotion, but balance it with knowledge, with a strong dose of logic and rationality and common sense. Balance it with meditation. Balance the meditation also with service, action. I was just reading Swami Turiyananda and Swami Shivananda, we line with that. They're sitting and talking and Swami Shivananda says, in this day and age, Sri Ramakrishna's teaching was Jnana Mishra Bhakti. Bhakti with knowledge. Devotion and knowledge together. Good. So let's wrap up here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Sri Ramakrishna Rupanamastu Om